And here we go. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Actually, we're late by two weeks, but we have two children, and the day job was spreading me thin. So let's pretend we made this on time. It's beginning to look a lot like our podcast. I love it. That's good. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to Creating Geeks, a parenting podcast of great responsibility. Um, as you probably guessed from the opening, um, this is a Christmas episode. Um, we uh, decided to um, do some Christmas specials, um, so we'll get to um, what those are in a minute. We're not going to do every single one ever made, but we picked a few um, in particular. Um, to start off, um, even though we are celebrating Christmas on this episode, happy 2019, everybody. If you're listening to this, you made it. Um, 2018 seemed like it was 10 friggin' years long. Um, and uh, if you have children and you've made it through, I'm, I'm very glad uh, we're not sleeping very well. Um, Ava's sleeping continues to regress, and Jake's sitting here in between us at 1230 at night, uh, not um asleep. asleep either so uh good riddance 2019 happy 2019 and hopefully we Please get some sleep spring sleep sorry, um want to let you guys all know uh since the last recording um i've been on an episode of the geeks with shields podcast we were talking about um some of our gone but not forgotten um things um just stuff that we've seen in our life that we thought people would like to see maybe hadn't seen it or slept on it um, so, uh, if you get a chance to check them out, the Geeks with Shields podcast, you can find them on Twitter, Patreon, YouTube, SoundCloud. Um, they're great guys, and, um, I loved being on it and hope to be able to get on it again. I'm going to keep hawking the, uh, Big Brown Chair, which is my buddy Peter's, um, movie review website run by librarians. I've done a review for them and plan to do some more. Um, as always, patreon.com slash the chippa <coughs> is where you can find me and give me and us money so we can keep doing this stuff and on youtube the chip made this where i do the chipman brothers tangent the talkbuster podcast and um shooting the uh sh asterisk t <laughs> with with chippa since this is a um family oriented podcast um so so to start and jake you're gonna hear jake squawking during this there's not much we can do about that he, he's awake so we're gonna deal with that but we're gonna try to get through this um so we decided to break this down into the five um, top Christmas specials from our childhood for Sarah and I. So Sarah, wh which ones are those before we start? Um, so we decided to talk about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Frosty the Snowman, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, Charlie Brown Christmas, and The Grinch. And, the uh, animated version. Yes, the, the, an the original the animated version, because now... Benedict Cucumber Snatch is the Grinch, and um, some which I bet he's fine. But I heard the movie. Oh, that made Jake smile. You like you like silly names. Uh, anyway, um, so the way this breaks down, um, you know, Rudolph, Frosty, and Santa Claus is coming to town. Were all done by Rankin Bass. They're kind of like the classic, what everybody remembers. Um, again, they were from our parents' childhood. All of these, but we're gonna say from our childhood, just you know, see how the generations continue on. Um, Charlie Brown Christmas um, was Charles Schultz Peanuts. We're not going to go into too much background detail about that. 
because we're going to do a Peanuts centric episode on this later. And um, how the Grinch stole Christmas is not a, a ton to say, but we're going to go into a little bit more detail on Rankin Bass <laughs> because um, this is the first time we're talking about them and maybe the only time, although I'm, I'm sure we can find some other stuff. So without further ado, here's some background on Rankin Bass. Sarah, do you want to start? Oh, uh, sure. Founded in New York City by Arthur Rankin Jr. and Jules Bass on September 14, 1960, as Videocraft International, the majority of Rankin Bass' work, including all of their Animagic stop-motion productions, which they were well-known for, were created in Tokyo, Japan. I didn't know I that. didn't know it either, right? Throughout the 1960s, the Animagic productions were headed by Japanese stop-motion animator Tadahito Mochinagata. Good job, I guess. His studio, Mom Productions, he was credited for his supervision as Tad Mochinaga. At the same time, Rankin Bass's traditionally cell-animated works were subcontracted to Crawley Films in Canada, and later the other Japanese animation studios, Toei Animation, who we've talked about before on our... Uh, um, <laughs> episodes on Gem and the Holograms and others, Tiseiji, now Ikin, and Mushi Production. And from the 1970s <laughs> to the early 1980s, the others were animated by another of Tokyo's animation studios, Topcraft, which was formed in 1972 as an offshoot of Toei Animation. Many Topcraft staffers, including the studio's founder, Toro Hara, who was credited as an animation supervisor in some of Rankin Bass's specials, would go on to join its successor, Studio Ghibli, and work on... Oh, Jakey. And work on Hayao Miyazaki's feature films, including Nausea in of the Valley of the Wind and My Neighbor Totoro. Uh, in addition to the name talent that provided the narration for the specials, Rankin Bass had to own a company of voice actors. For the studio's early work, this group was based in Toronto, Ontario, where recording was supervised by veteran... CBC announcer Bernard Cohen. This group included actors such as Paul Souls, Larry D. Mann, and Paul Klingman. Maury Laws served as musical director for almost all of the animated films. Romeo Muller was another consistent contributor, serving as screenwriter to many of Rankin Bass's best-known productions, including Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty the Snowman. And with that, we'll move into Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, I guess I'll, I'll read... I can read. All right, go for it. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is a 1964 Christmas stop-motion animation television special produced by Videocraft International LDT, later known as Rankin Bass Productions, and currently distributed by Universal Television. It first aired Sunday, December 6, 1964, on the NBC Television Network in the United States and was sponsored by General Electric under the umbrella title of the General Electric Fantasy Hour. The special was based on the Johnny Mark song, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, which was itself based on the poem of the same name written in 1939 by Mark's brother-in-law, Robert L. May. Since 1972, the special has aired on CBS. The network unveiled a high-definition digital remastered version of the program in 2005. Unlike other holiday specials that also air on several cable channels, including Freeform, Rudolph airs only on CBS. It has been telecast every year since 1964, making it the longest continuously running Christmas TV special in history. 2014 marked the 50th anniversary of the television special and a series of postage stamps featuring Rudolph were issued by the United States Postal Service on November 6, 2014. Wow. Um, so, yeah, um, I think everybody knows the plot of this thing. Um, yeah. You know, I, I decided not to go into depth on the plot, but th this thing's a little bonkers, right? You've got 
you know, Rudolph is born to a, he's Donder, Donner's son. Is that, is that whose son he ends up being right? And, you know, there's this whole subtext of Rudolph kind of like not being as strong as the rest of the reindeer. And, you know, it, I, I, I haven't really thought about this since, since watching it the original time, but you know, it's interesting for it being from so long ago for having it such a high amount of, you know, um, Rudolph and his nose and being different and the way he's treated by the others could um look, you know, uh, could kind of make its way into, you know, an allegory for, you know, someone who's gay or someone who's, you know, transgendered or feels different and is made fun of by his peers. And I'm surprised for something from the 60s, Rankin-Bass, a lot of their stuff kind of had a very, um like, overly Christian overtone, that that's kind of so heavy in it. Like the the different really outcasted kid. I'm thinking about it right now, just going through it in, in my brain. I never really thought about the Christian aspect, but yeah, you kind of get the the whole you know we could be gay thing. I forget the, how they turned, but yeah, and even Santa kind of gives him like a ration of shit for like how he is. Like you know, all right, oh, so you say shit there, but you asterisked it earlier. Whoops. <laughs> Beep. Beep. Oops. Uh, sorry, we just yeah we. Sarah didn't was late on the button on that one. Um, but anyway, but anyway, so this one's bonkers, right? So that's the that's the standard simple part of it. But then there's an elf who wants to be a dentist, right? And there's also Yukon Cornelius who takes them to find the island of misfit toys, who's run by a king who's a lion named King Moonraiser. And this thing's only like a half an hour long, and it's still freaking bonkers. So I have a snippet. I don't know how true this is. I haven't looked into it. But if you anyone who's seen the special notices that every time Yukon does a pick with the ice, he licks the pick. Um, I found out that he's looking for peppermint, and he knows when he finds the peppermint when he licks his thing, and it tastes like peppermint. It was a scene that was edited out, apparently. Oh, that's amazing! That showed him finally finding peppermint. Oh, that's really cool. So, um, you, so what's your initial experience with this? Uh... I've watched this. Every Christmas for as long as my 37-year-old brain can Same remember. here. Same here. You're only 34. Well, I'm you sure. <laughs> um, I guess I remember as a kid, you know, always watching it with, like, my parents. Like, it was, you know, the thing you watch. You know, and I bought it on DVD when it came out. And I don't know. It's just not Christmas if it's not one of the ones you watch. Right. And I, I find it... Um, My earliest memory of it when I was a kid is how it opens with the real news articles popping up on the screen in the snow. Yes. And it, it it really dragged you in as a kid because you're like, holy crap, like, is Christmas really going to be canceled? You know what I mean? Like, is the snow all that bad? Like, it it, it, it created a lot of panic. Um, to, to talk about here, because when you get into Rankin-Bass, it'll be mentioned, so we might as well mention it here. Um, John Favreau and Will Ferrell's Elf um, very much was trying to redo the look of the Rankin Bass animation for the yes! North Pole. And yes. I, I loved that about that movie. Um, so revisiting it now, I mean, we've watched it every year. Um, th- there's nothing really to revisit. It's been a staple of our lives for our yeah. entire lives. I want, I mean, we've already showed it to Ava and we'll definitely. I do sh- have to say this year, she really put a crimp in my Christmas movie style because I couldn't watch any Christmas movies when she was away because it had to be Paw Patrol on the TV. No matter how hard I tried, I got maybe one or two Christmas movies in. And then by the time she went to bed for all of two hours, I was asleep before I could watch Christmas movies. So I feel like I was very 
lax in my Christmas movies so, uh, this year. We'll, we'll kind of jump through these a little quicker than normal, but what a, I mean, this is absolutely something you have to share with your kids, right? Absolutely. Um, I, I think everybody, if you haven't seen this, watch it. Watch it with your kids. There, there's always some outdated stuff in these. Um, We're good. Oh, we thought Ava was waking up for a minute there. Um, oh, but, you know, shit. what? She just rolling over. We'll just keep this in here. This is fine. Um, so, so we'll move on to the next one, Sarah, with Frosty the Snowman, and I'll I'll start reading this one. So, Frosty the Snowman. So Sorry. Di- different. It, it, it would seem, you know, okay, different because we're going to do three Rankin Bass ones, and two of them are stop motion, and one of them is cell animation. But like we mentioned earlier, Rankin Bass started in cell animation and then kind of moved into the Animagic thing. But Frosty the Snowman is a 1969 animated Christmas television special produced by Rankin Bass Productions. It's actually currently distributed by Universal Television. It is the first television special featuring the character Frosty the Snowman. It first aired on December 7th, 1969 on the CBS Television Network in the United States. It has been airing annually for the network's Christmas and holiday season. The special was based on Walter E. Rollins and Steve Nelson's song of the same name. It featured the voices of comedians Jimmy Durante as the film's narrator. Durante's final performance in a film. I didn't Did know him. that. Billy D. Wolf as Professor Hinkle the Magician and Jackie Vernon as Frosty. The special story follows a group of children who build a snowman called Frosty and place a magic hat on his head, which makes him come to life with an enchanted power. But after noticing the high, hot temperature... And fearing that he would melt, Frosty, along with a girl named Karen and a rabbit named Hocus Pocus, must go to the North Pole to be safe from melting. They actually um, hitch a ride on a train illegally. I remember that. Um, Go ahead. Arthur Rankin Jr. and Jules Bass wanted to give the show and its characters a look up a Christmas card, so Paul Coker Jr., a greeting card and Mad Magazine artist, was hired to do the character and background drawings. The animation was produced by Mushi Production in Tokyo, Japan, with Hanna-Barbera staffer Yusaku Steve Nagagawa and then Mushi staffer Osuma Osamu, no, Osamu Dezaki, who is uncredited among the animation staff. Durante was one of the first people to record the song when it was released in 1950. At the time, the song had slightly different lyrics. He re-recorded the song for the special. Rangan Bass veteran Romeo Mueller adapted and expanded the story for television, as he had done with Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. TV Guide ranked this special number four on its 10 best family holiday specials list. It's interesting. Um... Again, what's your initial experience with Frosty the Snowman? It's same as Rudolph, just another one that I remember watching all my life. Another staple. See, my dad had, I don't think we ever watched it on TV, because my dad had just recorded all of them, like, the first year he had a VCR. So they were on... We recorded anything ever. Yeah, they were on constant rotation. I'm sure we did too, but I know we watched them on TV. And there was something about, we're probably going to do another episode about this, but I really miss those commercials. There was something about the yes. old VHS tapes of that, like the 1980s and 90s commercials. That's why you think go for YouTube, because I'm sure you can. We have found old commercials on YouTube. Remember we found, this is a tangent kind of, but the Christmas Fruity Pebbles yes. commercial yes. a couple of years ago. Remember that? That was awesome. That was awesome. All right, sorry. Um, so <laughs> revisiting, it's got to be about yeah, the same as, as Rudolph, right? Yeah, same I, thing. You know, eventually bought it on. And what's cool about this one, and I think we kind of skipped over it with Rudolph, is there were a couple of, like, I guess you could call them sequels. There was the Frosties, um, the one where Frosty comes back in, like, the summertime. 
Yeah. And I think John Goodman was the voice of Frosty in that one. Oh, uh, yeah. And um, Brian Doyle Murray is the voice of the bad and guy. And then there's the one where Frosty, I don't know, it's Frosty's Shiny New Year. I don't know what No, it's was. Rudolph's Shiny New Year and Frosty's in it. And that's a that's a stop motion one. Okay. And then and, there was also the Frosty one where he gets a wife. Christmas. Yeah, that one's weird with the ice skating and the, yeah. Yeah. And then there's, there's a couple like Rudolph's Shiny New Year and then the Heat Miser, Snow Miser. Yeah, that's Rudolph's Shiny New Year. Is it, or is I that the know. year without a Santa Claus? I have no idea. Yeah, I know again, there's a couple of Rudolph they, movies thereafter, but I never so, watched any of them. So next we're going to move into... <clears throat> Moving right along. For me, this one is friggin' weird. And I, I'm going to preempt this by saying that uh, this wasn't a part of my childhood viewing. Yeah, me either. Oh, it wasn't either. Okay. My childhood viewing of Santa Claus was Santa Claus the movie, which Sarah has never watched, but she has to see. Which one is it? Um, it's it's a live action, like basically Santa as a superhero almost is kind of uh. work. And what's great about Santa Claus the movie is it spent so much meticulous time getting the imagery that everybody knew of Santa, like the 1970s and 80s onward Santa, that this one kind of bugs me because it's so weird and so bonkers and it's not really my Santa. Yeah. So, but, but it's going to be cool to talk. I still love the hell out of this, but, um, the next one is Santa Claus is coming to town. So, uh, do do you want to start? And I, I decided to go kind of more in depth on the plot of this one because it is so damn weird that I want you guys to all hear it. If you've never seen this thing. Okay. Santa Claus is coming to town. Is a 1970 stop-motion Christmas television special produced by Rankin Bass Productions. The film stars Fred Astaire as the narrator S.D. Kluger, Mickey Rooney as Chris Kringle slash Santa Claus, Keenan Wyan or Keenan Wynn as the Winter Warlock and Paul Freese in various roles. The film tells the story of how Santa Claus and several Claus-related Christmas traditions came to be. It is based on the hit Christmas song Santa Claus is Coming to Town, which was introduced by radio on radio by Eddie Cantor in 1934 in the story of St. Nicholas. Basic plot. Oh, boy. Here we go. Special delivery S.D. Kluger, the mailman, voiced by and resembling Fred Astaire. Oh, 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 oh. He does the mail guy for the Easter Bunny's Coming to Town. It's the same yes, thing. Yes, he does. Another bonkers one. But it's the same. All right, we'll is get back introduced to it. after a newsreel prologue, the same way as um, uh, um, Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, telling how children around the world are preparing for Christmas and Santa Claus's arrival. When his snowmobile slash mail truck breaks down, he tells the story of Santa Claus answering the children's letters to Santa, which is a really clever way to do it. Yeah. I gotta say. I'll start here because it, it's freaking weird. The story begins in the gloomy city of Sombertown, ruled by the ill-tempered Burgermeister Meisterburger, voiced by Paul Fries. <clears throat> a baby arrives on his doorstep with a name tag reading Claus and note requesting that Burgermeister raise the child. He instead orders his law keeper Grimsley, also voiced by Paul Fries. <laughs> to take the baby to the orphan asylum. This thing is dark as so that hell. Like a happy On the way there, a gust of wind blows both the sled and the baby to the mountain of the whispering winds, where the animals hide him from the evil winter warlock. And again, this is in the first like ten minutes of this thing, voiced by Keenan Wynn, and convey to him an elvish family. Yeah, and convey him to an elvish family by the name of Kringle in the Rainbow River Valley, led by Tanta. Kringle, voiced by Joan Gardner, the Elf Queen. She and the five Kringle Elf brothers, Ringle, Dingle, Zingle, 
Tingle and Wingle, again all voiced by Paul Fries, adopt the baby and name him Chris. A few years later, Chris hopes to restore the Kringle family as the first toy makers to the king. Again, this is all backstory, ladies and gentlemen. I could picture that poor guy just sitting in a room by himself doing all the voices. And he's doing, like, all of the heavy lifting in this damn thing, too. When Chris is old enough, the volunteer he volunteers to deliver the elf's toys to Sombertown. Unfortunately, the Burgermeister has banned all toys from the town from after tripping on a toy duck lift on the steps. What a dickhead. And declares that anyone found possessing a toy will be imprisoned. <clears throat> Sounds like 45. Anyway, on his way to Sombertown... Chris beats a, a lost penguin whom he names Topper as he beat the Winter Warlock, who vows to catch him the next time he passes. In the town, he offers toys to two children watching, washing their stockings by a water fountain. He is stopped by Miss Jessica, voiced by Robbie Lester, their lovely school teacher, but she softens towards Chris when he offers her a china doll as a peace offering. As Chris gives more toys, the Burgermeister arrives to arrest the children, but Chris gives him a yo-yo. He at first heavily plays with it, but Grimsley reminds him he's breaking his own law, leading Burgermeister ordering Chris's arrest. Yeah, that's so 45. Yeah. <laughs> As Chris and Topper return to the Kringles, the Winter Warlock captures them with the help of his tree monsters. But when Chris gives him a toy locomotive as a present in exchange, the Warlock befriends Chris as his appearance changes. To repay him, he teaches Chris how to use magic snowballs to see anywhere in the world. This reunites Chris with Jessica, who informs him that the Burgermeister has banished all wow. the toys and the children now want new ones. Chris promises to do so if the children behave themselves. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows if you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. I can't believe they came up with all of this off of that song. Promising to watch the them through his magic snowball. Smoking? When the Burgermeister hears that Chris means to bring more toys, he orders all doors and windows to be locked before their houses are searched. But Chris enters by the chimneys where the children hung their stockings to dry by the fire where Chris hid the toys. Wow, there's a lot going on here. Thereafter, the Burgermeister sets a trap for Chris as he makes another delivery and thus captures the Kringle's topper in winter. Jessica pleads to release her friends, but he refuses. Jessica then asks Winter to break everyone out, but he is unable to help them since he has no magic left except some magic feed corn to make reindeer fly. Within, with the reindeer's help, the Kringles, Chris, Topper, and Winter escape. After months as an outlaw, because he's Robin Hood now, Chris returns to the woods, where he grows a beard as a disguise. It's a big red beard, too, at this point, I remember. After Tanta suggests that he return to his birth name of Claus for safety, Chris marries Jessica on Christmas Eve, and the group travels to the North Pole to build their own castle and workshop. As the years pass, Chris still has to travel by night because he's an outlaw. Eventually, the Burgermeisters died off and fell out of Wow! Power the laws were abolished. The townspeople then look up to Chris and eventually canonize him as a saint, becoming Santa Claus, while Jessica becomes Mrs. Claus. Santa then decides to limit his journeys to one night a year, not a bastard, and chooses the right night, Christmas Eve, the night of profound love. Just as Santa's getting ready to leave, Winter tells them that he's, he has magic powers back to guarantee the world a white Christmas. Yeah, bullshnikes. Jesus. At the end, after S.D. Kluger explains Santa's true meaning, he remembers that he still has to deliver the children's letters to Santa. He leaves Bullshit. for the North Pole, joined by Topper, Winter, 
the Kringle family, and a parade of children singing Santa Claus is coming to town during the credits. As they finally reach Santa's workshop, we see Chris and Jessica's shadows inside their castle. Santa steps outside and waves goodbye to the viewers as a group of children say Merry Christmas. Holy mother of God. Yeah, so um, where is Frosty the Snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer are fairly um straightforward. straightforward. This one is like a bonkers multi, like, it's almost like the Avengers of these Christmas movies, right? Like, it's like how they crammed that much into one. How they got that from that song. So, you want to read this part? The special was originally telecast December 14th, 1970 by ABC and continues to air every year on sibling channel ABC Family, now Freeform. Though both channels have at times edited the special to make room for commercials, ABC has cut two key songs as well as two other songs in half. ABC Family Freeform has cut several scenes that they believe may be traumatizing to younger viewers, like Chris climbing and leaping to escape to prevent children from doing dangerous stunts. Winter Warlock knowing Chris will return and telling him he will never escape, including the scene where the Burgermeister tortures the seized toys in front of the children of Sombertown. The DVD releases include these deleted scenes vital to the story's plot. So when did you see this for the first time? Probably as an adult on the Freeform 25 Days of Christmas yeah, I think I, I, I think it's the same thing for me. I don't know that I ever remember watching it as a kid. It is not one that I make. I always DVR it, and I think I like put it on in the background, but never pay any attention to it. Th- yeah, this one for me, I just find incredibly interesting more than I really want to go showing it to my kids. Like, I kind of agree with ABC on some of that. Like, this is a weird I feel like ass kids movie. The year without movie. a Santa is Rankin Bass too, right? And that one's weird as shit. And so is, is Jack that one, Frost. I feel like that one's more normal than oh, this. Oh, it is. But this sounds like the same setup as the other Rankin Bass, the the um Easter one. The same thing where there's this witchy woman that doesn't want like candy and eggs and and a little boy that's the, it, just as screwy in the same skinny twig male person, you know, reading kids questions about the Easter bunny and Easter and. So yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure if this is. Tree, yeah. I'm not sure if this is one that you like need to share with your kids. But if you haven't seen it and you grew up with the Rankin Bass stuff, please search this one out. It's as weird or weirder than our description. Were they on drugs writing some of these? Or yes. Something. Yes. I mean, it was the '70s and '60s. I would say so. So now let's move on to something completely different. We move on to the peanuts, um, particularly Charlie's Charlie Brown Christmas. And like I said before, we're gonna not go into as much detail with this because um, we're gonna do a peanuts episode. So um, I'll start this one out. I want um, to okay, cool. Mine. Mine. A Charlie Brown Christmas is a 1965 animated television special based on the comic strip Peanuts by Charles M. Schultz, produced by Lee Mendelson and directed by Bill Melendez. The program made its debut on CBS on December 9th, 1965. Names I can pronounce. In the special lead character, Charlie Brown finds himself depressed despite the onset of a cheerful holiday season. Lucy suggests he direct a childhood Christmas play, but his best, or neighborhood Christmas play, but his best efforts are ignored and mocked by his peers. As Linus tells Charlie Brown, Ooh. about the true meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown cheers up and the Peanuts gang unites to celebrate the Christmas season. Peanuts had become a phenomenon worldwide by the mid-1960s and was spe- and the special was commissioned and sponsored by the Coca-Cola Company. It was written over a period of several weeks and animated on a shoestring budget in only six months. In casting the characters, the producers went an unconventional route hiring child actors. 
The program's soundtrack was similarly unorthodox. It features a jazz score by pianist Vincent Garaldi and the lack of a laugh track, a staple in U.S. television animation in this period. In addition to its tone, pacing music and animation led both the producers and the network to predict the project would be a disaster ahead of its broadcast. Contrary to that apprehension, A Charlie Brown Christmas received high ratings and acclaim from critics. It has since been honored with both an Emmy and a Peabody Award. It became an annual broadcast in the United States and has traditionally been aired during the Christmas season every year since its premiere. Its success paved the way for a series of Peanuts television specials and films. Its jazz soundtrack also achieved commercial success, selling 4 million copies in the U.S. Live theatrical versions of A Charlie Brown Christmas have been staged. ABC currently holds the rights to the special and broadcasts at least twice during the weeks leading up to Christmas. What's your initial experience with this? I think I've been watching that since I was a kid, just like the other two. Same here. I think with both, it, it must have been the first time of year that I was cognizant. It was probably my second or third year on this earth. I have a long way back of remembering things. <laughs> but funny. I always find that Charlie Brown... Thanks, uh, Halloween, yeah. The Great Pumpkin, and um, the Grinch, uh, Halloween is Grinch Night, were the first of those two types of specials I remember, and I feel like this one came next. So it's like almost like I became cognizant at Halloween, and then... Like, this is the first one I think that I remember, and, and it is just not Christmas till I see this. Even if I have it on, I watch it a handful of times. I have it on DVD, I still DVR it. It's just... I love Charlie Brown and the Peanuts, and it's just not a holiday if you don't find thing, a Charlie Brown The thing special. that's always been interesting to me is that I find the Peanuts and the Simpsons share a very similar thing that I didn't really notice when I was young, but notice now that I'm grown up and look back on it. And, I, and this isn't even a bad thing, but some people might take it that way. Both shows are very highly religious overtones or undertones in something that you wouldn't expect. Like, remember, the Simpsons, I, I was in Catholic school when... You know, The Simpsons was on and that show, okay. you know, we were told not to watch it because, you know, it was like blasphemous because Bart talked back to his parents and all this. But The Simpsons were shown as going to church every Sunday and on the Charlie Brown stuff, Linus is always kind of like the adult style character to read them the, you know, history of Christmas or the history of the Mayflower. And they're. They're always fit in these like highly Christian and Catholic overtones into it, but it never really bothered me and doesn't bother yeah. me as an adult, even yeah. though I don't consider myself. And that's kind of the parts of the very religious. One that I remember is it, and that'll be a sign unto you. Yeah, exactly. So what? What about re revisiting? I mean, again, it's kind of like the other ones we've been watching never it every really year. It, so you know. if you've never seen a Charlie Brown Christmas or then any of the things wrong with you. we're talking about, just watch it. Share it with your kids. It's fantastic. Um, the, the kids talk, if, if you've never seen anything Peanuts related. the um the, Again, if you've never seen anything Charlie Brown related, there's got to be something wrong the with kids, you. You've been living under the a The kids talk very adult, and the adults you can't hear. And I've, <laughs> I've always loved that. And the kids, you know, like, and what do you want for Christmas this year? Real estate. <laughs> yes, legitimately the adults are... <laughs> it's, it's fantastic. And very so... <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> Very socially conscious and aware. I mean, think about it this way. This is the 1960s, and this entire special is about Christmas becoming too commercialized. And that's what everyone complains about now. So this was, like, way ahead of its time in, mm -hmm. you know, the the kids kind of crapping on that. 
Um, so we'll move on from a Charlie Brown and Christmas. And showed it to Ava, and she loves it. She recognizes the characters now and the song. And I will say I do have the soundtrack, and it's one of the ones that I usually keep on year-round, even though I have a staunch rule, no Christmas music until Black Friday, and I usually end it right after New Year's Day. That's one of the ones that I keep bits and pieces of for around. For those of you listening to this outside of the United States which I hope there's some of you. I think there are. Black Friday is the day after our Thanksgiving. Um, it's the biggest shopping day for Christmas of the year. It's obnoxious. But yeah, that's the day that you uh, we, we turn on the Christmas music and it, it makes the season start, as it were. So moving on to How the Grinch Stole Christmas, also known as Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. It was a television special directed and co-produced by T- Chuck Jones of Looney Tunes fame. If you didn't know that, Sarah, it is based on the children's book by Dr. Seuss. The story is of the Grinch trying to take away Christmas from the townsfolk of Whoville below his mountain hideaway. Originally telecast in the United States on CBS on December 18th, 1966, it went on to become a perennial holiday special. The special also features the voice of Boris Karloff as the Grinch and the narrator. An interesting piece of trivia is that the song, You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch, was sung by Thurl Ravenscroft, who was the uncredited voice of Tony the Tiger from Frosted Flakes. I remember this. Because Ravenscroft was not credited in the closing credits of this special either, it is often mistakenly attributed to Boris Karloff, who served as the narrator and the voice of the Grinch in the special, but who himself could not sing. Isn't that interesting? So, um, ending this thing off, this is just the perfect Christmas special. It's short. It's to the point. I it, never realized how short it was, so I put it on this year. So, I finally bought this on DVD. This is a hard one to find on TV. It's because Believe everything it everything is the Jim Carrey one. That's Which why. It's okay, but... It's fine. I like the Jim Carrey I'll one. I'll watch it. I didn't actually get to watch it this year. Like I said, Ava really put a crimp on my... Uh, cramp on my Christmas movies this year. But but again, it's kind of like, remember how the ridiculous description of Santa Claus is coming to town and that it, it expands on a song and turns it into a thing with winter warlocks and burgermeisters and all of this. The issue I always had with the Jim Carrey one was that this is a 20 minute long special and the way that they turn it into a movie is by adding backstory and things that are just kind of unnecessary. Um, but again, this one itself, I mean, Boris Karloff is perfect. Um, the Who's are perfectly weird. The the Chuck Jones got the look of Dr. Seuss's artwork from the books, like, spot on. Yes. Um, this is the quintessential perfect movie to share with your kids. It's short. It's flashy. There's a lot going on. It's got a dog doing silly things, doesn't it, Jakey? Yes, it does. And Jake's smiling at me. Um, what person likes to hear his dad ramble? What's your initial experience with it? I think I probably watched this one as a kid, too. Um would imagine every year. Um, I had the book, big, huge, like 8x10 Grinch book as a kid. Have you ever seen Halloween is Grinch Night or The Grinch Grinch is the Cat in the Hat? No. Those are both pretty the good, Grinch, too. Grinch the Cat in the Hat sounds interesting. And Halloween is Grinch Night is weird, too. Um, it's weird because it, I don't think that Halloween is Grinch Night takes place in Whoville. But the Grinch is like a creature on a mountain. It actually probably is Whoville. It's a weird one, man. Um, yeah, thoughts on sharing this with my kids? Absolutely. Same? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's our Christmas special. I feel two, like that was really short, but I'm sure it's not. Two weeks later. No, it's about, we're about 40 minutes now-ish. Um, so anything more to say, Sarah? No, just 
I like Christmas movies. There's so many more we could talk about. Um, you know, there's the ones we watch now that are on ABC Family. There's, like, Ava likes Winnie the Pooh and Christmas, too. There's the Mickey Mouse. Um, oh, is it Mickey's Christmas Carol and Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas and Twice Upon a Christmas? And there's the Pixar's Prep and Landing. Yeah, Pre- Prep and Landing is actually great. We didn't get to watch I, that. I enjoy Prep Again, and Landing. Yeah, I didn't get to watch because um, of my damn... Well, no. Prep and also, and, and Arthur Christmas. Arthur Christmas from the Ardman guys. We have never guys. finished that. We haven't finished it yet, but I, I really enjoyed asleep. it. And you know, even though it's for older kids, I, I can't get through this without talking about my personal favorite Christmas movie, which is The Nightmare Before Christmas. It's a Halloween movie. It is a Christmas movie. Halloween movie. Christmas movie. Halloween. It's both. It's a Tim Burton movie. Actually, it's a Henry Selleck movie. Anyway, um, so as always, if you like this, post some comments, topic ideas, and anything else on patreon.com slash the Chippa or on the YouTube page where you'll find this, the Chippa made this. You can also find the Chipman Brothers Tangent, Talkbuster, and Shooting the Shit with Chippa. Um, on a more serious note, we mentioned this the last time, we still have some friends going through some rough stuff. So uh, just, uh, you know, um, hold your children a little tighter if you see them and call your friends, call your family. Cherish every moment, especially coming into 2019. And as always, Sarah. There's no shame in being a geek, no matter how old you are and we're fucking old. Yes, we are. (laughs) Have a great night, everybody. Bye.